Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is my co-host, Tessa. I really asked him to call me Agent Triple Tessa, but I guess we're not doing that. Joining us today are two friends of the pod, the really the only experts on Bond that we know who are not us, Nigel and Elise. Hello. Hello. Hi. At long last, the day is almost here. That's right, I'm talking about No Time to Die. So today, we'll be talking about every single one of Bond's adventures that were brought to the big screen by Eon Productions. No knockoff Casino Royale or Thunderball for us. For these episodes, Tessa and I have put together a ranking of the Bond films. In putting this list together, disagreements were had. Harsh word or two might have been spoken. We're going to present this list to Nigel and Elise film by film and let them tell us what we did correctly and what we got wrong. We'll also talk about some of the other elements of the Bond films that people just love to rank. Can I say it? No. Rank that list! No, because it comes later. Oh. So, no. I'll say it later. Fail. <laughs> no, that, that, should, that whole part should be left in. <laughs> so... I agree. This is definitely the biggest project we've tried to do in one day on this podcast. I feel ready and yet unprepared. So tell your technology that this is no time to die because we're about to dance into the fire in hopes that nobody does it better than us (laughs) and that we finish on an all-time high. I feel like fist pumping right now. I'm just glad that as an English student, I have practically zero things to be doing with my time so I can like afford to sit down and do this in, in one sitting. <laughs> English major burn! <laughs> yeah, because all of, all of my friends went into engineering and so they're like, you know, doing 25 hour weeks or whatever. Um, and I'm just like, I've got four. <laughs> <laughs> I can afford to sit down and watch all 24 Bond films. Let's do this! <laughs> Because there are only 24 films, this first segment will only talk about the four films, the bottom of the barrel. In putting this list together, we did the good, the meh, and the ugly. So these are the ugly or the bad films. Starting with number 24, 1967's You Only Live Twice, the one where the Bond franchise goes full Orientalist. And there's a volcano base. We think it's the worst Bond movie. I told you why. It's not the volcano part. Are we wrong? You are not wrong, <laughs> in my opinion. I, it's, it's like, I don't, think, I don't think you're not wrong. Hold on, how do words work? <laughs> I don't not think don't. you're wrong. But at the same time, I don't know whether, I th- uh, whether I'd say it's the worst Bond film, mainly because for me, there's like, a couple that are like in contention so i'm excited to see what the other ones you've put in because definitely when i was watching it it was like what the fuck why is sean connery dressing up like he's japanese and everyone is fine with this um what do you think elise this movie has very icky stereotypes of asian women um especially that massage scene uh is kind of gross i agree the the uh Bond um, dressing up as a Japanese man is kind of disgusting, and it is a very early example of women that sleep with Bond that get murdered just because of uh, 
wrong place, wrong time, I guess. There are a couple things I don't hate about this movie, though. I do love a Bond death fake out, which we get at the beginning. And I do think that Aki is a very cute Bond girl, even though there are major bad stereotypes happening. Yeah, I think for me, the worst Bond films, and we'll talk about this with some of the others that are in this segment, are their bits. They're not like fully formed plots. They're kind of like, let's do this bit. And I think that this film is not, it doesn't have like a really great plot. It's just like, let's put Bond in Tokyo and do things that we think Tokyo is like. And it comes across as really racist and really yellow face. And that's why I think this is a bad film. It's not, I mean, it is the racism, but it's also just not like the plot isn't really anything. It's just like, let's have Bond be in Tokyo. But I do really like the volcano base because this is the first time that we see Blofeld, like actually see him Um, in the other films that he's in. We just kind of see the cat and we see him like from the back. So this is really cool. The, The volcano base is like a classic Blofeld, like super villain base and we actually do get to see him with the cat so that that's for me the one standout part of this but the rest of it's just like let's let bond do japanese stuff and to me that does not make a good movie i agree i was just gonna say based off of the start of this episode now i'm imagining um sam and tessa as the makers of bond and Mm -hmm. tessa saying can we do can i say it and uh, sam will say no and then tessa will say do that bit (laughs) (laughs) i I was gonna say that i feel like we should have scrapped this whole episode and just ranked all the movies based on how much cat is in them this one might but um i also no, actually, <laughs> right. I, have a I agree okay. with. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Oh, <laughs> I agree with Tessa that there are uh, many Bond movies that have racism in it, but this one also has a boring plot, so that makes it worse. Like, I need a decent plot for me to personally get over some of the racism in the. And I obviously that say that as a white person, so that is a privileged take, but. This movie does not have any plot that I like, so it just is racist and boring. And so it, it's interesting that you bring up the plot. And, and part of the, the mishmash structure of some of the Bond movies is that they're pulling from bits and pieces of the Fleming novels instead of just doing a Fleming novel. This novel falls after On Her Majesty's Secret Service. This novel is about Bond being depressed and going through grief and mourning. And he goes to Japan, and he ends up getting uh, clobbered on the head, if I recall correctly. And the whole Japan thing is an amnesiac situation. That's why he's in the fishing village. And it's like, it's, it's still problematic, but it actually has a plot. And so one of the reasons right. I hate this movie so much is it's right there. You had the right plot right there. You didn't have to do any of this. But also then when you consider, like, what's the next Bond film chronologically that they put out? On Her Majesty's Secret they Service. Just, well, and what's interesting is that, you know, they, they tried to adapt On Her Majesty's Secret Service basically since Dr. No. They kept trying to do it and got distracted. I think another reason why they switched them is because the weather in the where On Her Majesty's Secret Service, it was the wrong season to be shooting there. So they switched the, the um, filming 
So we're all pretty good on the idea that this is a bad movie. Hooray. Which is unfortunate because famed children's author and fellow spy (laughs) to Ian Fleming, they knew each other. Roald Dahl was a uh, major writer on this screenplay. So it's, it's very disappointing that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory could not make it happen for this. So coming in at number 23, 1973's Live and Let Die, the one where the Bond franchise goes full racist. And there are crocodiles. <laughs> so do we also think that this is one of the worst Bond films in our ranking? Is this better or worse than You Only Live Twice? I think it's slightly better, but like from my memories, it's like I enjoyed this film in terms of like a just sit down, in, you know, in front of a screen and turn your brain off. Like I enjoyed uh, this one more than You Only Live Twice, where it's like I can appreciate, you know, I can appreciate the jumping over crocodiles thing. And, uh, you know, obviously we can't just ignore the blatant racism. And I feel like it'd be really fun way to rank the Bond films of is like how uncomfortable do they make me feel um, but this one definitely had more of a fun factor to it, it also is this the one where um, they play the slide whistle sound no, effect that comes later no no I was about to say because it was like that also adds the fun factor but no that's a different film no this one had the terrible terrible character of jw pepper who was a sheriff in uh, louisiana and he's super super yeah, racist was, like he's racism incarnate and somehow he's also in the one with this the slide is whistle. yeah he is also in the one with the slide yeah, whistle. Yeah, but this, like this was again this film is another bit like it's a slightly better bit than you only live twice but it's still like a lot of racism it's bond in louisiana you have this super racist sheriff who's supposed to be funny. Like, it's just not, it, it, it is not a thing. I think I'm about to cancel myself because I have this movie as my, as number 15 oh, on my list. But why? Mostly because of what Nigel said. It's just, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy the music. I very much love the scene at the beginning where they, the, that person Get, or one of the agents gets killed and they hide them in that casket. I That little bit pretty much um, carries the movie for me because it's so funny. I do like the plot of Bond having to figure out why these agents have been killed. Like That feels very Bond to me. But on top of the racism in this movie, there's also a lot of misogyny. Like we said earlier, for the racism part, every villain in this movie is black. Um, Jane Seymour's character Solitaire loses her psychic powers once she loses her virginity. I can't think of anything more cringe than that. This movie definitely came out in the middle of the like black exploitation era of films in the 1970s. And they kind of capitalized on that with having the plot be more about drug trafficking instead of world domination or like some of the other villains we've had, which is really gross. But yeah, I, I agree. Like I just turned my brain off and I, I like the set pieces and I really hated this movie the first time I watched it. And the second time I was like, okay, I know I'm going in watching this racist movie and I feel really bad saying this, but I still had fun watching it. Yeah, it's if Moonraker is bring me Star Wars, Live and Let Die is bring me Shaft. Definitely. 
Yeah. Mm. And I have another another movie later that we'll talk about that is bring me another thing that came out right around the same time, which is funny to me that Bond kind of does do that throughout history, like sees what's popular at the time and tries to do their own version. You you mentioned this briefly. It does have one of the best themes, though. Live and Let Die is clearly like a very yes. iconic Paul McCartney Bond theme. So that that is like the one plus in my plus column for this film. Yes. Yeah. Um, when I had my bat mitzvah, Live and Let Die was mine and my best friend at the time's favorite song. So this was 1995. I probably didn't know that it was also in a Bond movie at that time. So I had my friend come up and light a candle on my bat mitzvah cake to live and let die. And I wonder what all the adults in the room thought about that. <laughs> because we did not know that James, we were not into James Bond at age 13. And, and, and well, who isn't into James Bond when they're age 13? What What's up? I mean, I feel like, I have better. I have very dad interests. Like I have dad tastes, right? A lot. So I feel like if I was who I am now, thirteen-year-old me would have been all about this as well. Oh no! Just I have like similarly fond memories to do with um the theme song to this film, where it's like right as COVID was cracking down and college was getting ready to shut down. Like we have a society room, um, for the literary society. It's like up four flights of stairs, and it's this really small, like pokey little room. It's great. But it's like locked and we have to get we, you always have to get a key from the Central Societies Committee and stuff. And so they were literally like discussing whether we would be allowed in an enclosed space when there'd been like three or four cases of COVID on campus. And so we were like, you know, what's the story with this? And everyone was coming in because they were normally would have gone into the attic. That's the room. And so we were just standing in the um, Students Union kitchen, which is directly opposite their offices, waiting for a verdict. And then me and my friend Shorsha and Penelope were just talking about James Bond. And then we started singing <laughs> Live and Let Die, nice. just acapella in the kitchen. And you could see like people who came in to use the microwave came in and saw us and they were just like, what the fuck? And left. <laughs> but it's like the film, like racist trash film. But it's like, you know, this is a nice bonding moment before the whole world went to shit. Yeah, and and we're we're gonna come back to the 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 songs here in a few minutes. So uh, one of the most interesting things about the franchise is all the behind the scenes stuff that happens. You know, we talked a little bit about Solitaire a minute ago. Diana Ross was originally in the picture for this, but there's a whole yep. problem with white Bond. Yeah, I'm not gonna finish that statement, and that's why we got what we got. Tom Mankiewicz is is a writer, a screenwriter on this, nephew of the Mank, as in Citizen Kane dude. And of course, we'll talk more about him later, but this is the first Roger Moore movie. We could have had an American. We could have had McQueen. We could have had Newman. We could have had Eastwood. We could have had Batman. But instead, we got Roger Moore. Actually, the Batman thing comes earlier. I'm sorry. Batman was going to replace Connery. Uh, I, and by but, Batman. <laughs> I mean Adam West. So, yeah. The best Batman. I assumed. The, clearly. <laughs> I didn't think Michael Keaton was uh, going to get Right up there with Val Kilmer. All right. So, anyway. <laughs> can I 
Can I just say about this film? I think it's really weird that this is the film where it's like, is the villain immortal? <laughs> you know, because like at the end, Baron Samity is on the front of the train yeah. and laughing when he's like quite clearly been shot. And we had the fake out where, you you know, Bond shoots the like statue or automaton or whatever. And we're like, is he dead? Is he not? And then we get like, no, he's dead. And now he's on the train at the front. And it's like, this as well with the like losing your psychic powers when you lose your virginity it's really like weird dicey stuff that they're playing fast and loose with from uh different religious cultures and stuff because that's a thing yeah. but right. it's specifically with like the Loire and um gods that are worshipped down in the bayou these are closed practices and so you you know you're not meant to really write about them or talk about them if you're not part of that subsection um, or you know people who practice that so it's it's just like another problematic thing that this film is doing right and and you know of course that's built on Fleming's whole thing about his love of Jamaica and his his resort yeah. home Goldeneye you know so it, it's really based on what you're saying the whole franchise and you know this is also a storytelling issue because up until this the Craig era there is literally no follow through from film to film or, or if right. there is, it's it's really shoddy. Well, so, well, there's on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Well, <laughs> right. Which okay, so we'll talk more about that one later and its lingering effects on the franchise. But for now, let's move to number twenty-two. On our list is For Your Eyes Only from 1981, the one where the cool girl with the bow and arrow and the really not cool car, and that's really all I had to say about that. This is actually number 22 on my list also, so you did not do it incorrectly. I do absolutely love the ridiculous bananas opening scene of this movie with the motorized wheelchair and Blofeld finally dying. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and that's why I love it. It's completely ridiculous, but at the same time underwhelming because he was such a big villain for so long and he goes out in the most underwhelming way possible and the other thing i love about it is charles dance as henchman klaus he looks menacing those are the two only things i like yeah, about and they movie. wrote that opening as for two reasons right like a middle finger to um oh what's his name uh the guy with the rights to thunderball Kevin McClory. Yeah, as a as a middle finger to him. And yep. they didn't think they were going to get Roger Moore back, so they needed to establish some continuity in the series. Right. And that's what they went with. I also, I did not like this film because, like the other ones we've talked about, I didn't feel like it was a really cohesive plot. Uh, it just kind of played like a greatest hits of Bond. Like, it was more scene work than it was like an overarching right. movie. However, I also really love Topol, who is in this film. Uh, he, he, of course, you probably know him, dear listeners, from Fiddler on the Roof. That's what he's like most famous for. But I'm a he... Jewish person that's never seen that movie for some uh, reason. <laughs> well, Sam only saw it last year, but it's... It's really weird because... The episode of Monkey where you discussed that was the first time I appeared on the podcast. It became full circle. When Tessa asked me to be on Monkey originally, I thought of doing that. And then I was like, oh, wait, you guys covered that already. And so I did Shirley instead. (laughs) (laughs) 
But Topol is such a wonderful actor, and he is just, like, ridiculously funny in this movie. Like, he plays, like, this Greek mob boss that Bond is, like, going to kill, but then finds out that he's actually, like, the good mob boss of the two mob bosses <laughs> in this film. Yes. And it's it's really funny. Um, But... The rest of the film isn't really anything, and I think that this is also the first film where I was like, man, Roger Moore is getting really old to play this yes. character. There's a scene where he's like running up a flight of stairs, and you can almost hear him like being winded as he's like running up this flight of stairs. And like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be ageist, but there are he was too old to play Bond in a few of these films. Like this was just, he was just was. And it, yeah. especially because the female Bond girls were just like half his age, which is true in this film as well. Did you ever see the Archer episode that spoofs this movie? Um, he, so Archer has to watch this rich dude's daughter and she keeps coming on to him the whole time. And it ends in like, he's on this, I don't know, one of those like, snowmobile things and this young woman is just topless and he's trying to like get away and it just is gross but archer does it very funny but it, this this movie is disgusting to me like i everything involving <laughs> bb grosses me out it's just i don't even have more to say about it because i feel like i mentally blocked it out i think that's the right move with this movie nigel what thoughts do you have Sorry, I was distracted because I wanted to um I wanted to double check something um for a later segment by keyword searching um my handle on Twitter with the phrase bond and I'm reading some of my old tweets from my initial watching the thing. <laughs> oh my god. I did that yesterday. Yeah, this film really <laughs> isn't anything to write. Yeah. This film really isn't anything to write home about, is it? Where it's like I kind of have it down at the like near the end of my list, but there's one that I put very much down at the bottom of my list that still hasn't come up. So it's more more like I'm waiting for this one where ugh, you know what I mean? It's like I'm not particularly pushed. I have no I have nothing to add. Yeah, it it unlike, you know, for us, I think unlike the ones we put a little bit lower on the list, this one's just nothing. Like it's it's nothing. In right. fact, it's it's the Bernard Lee M is gone. Yeah, he and had they don't away. even. Repl- there's no M in this movie. That this is where we get Tanner, who is an interesting character that carries on. I like Bill Tanner a lot um, in general, oh, yeah. but I think as I think they did it out of respect to not recast M right away. They had him be on leave instead of being just recast. Right, and and so that I mean that probably is a good move out of respect but it makes the movie that less of a thing yeah tessa and i had a little bit of a disagreement here and this is why this this next movie is at number 21 it's 1974's the man with the golden gun the one with the descriptive title starring dracula the sith lord i disagree this this ranking is incorrect all right nigel tell us why and then elise can tell us why too okay this is one of the best Bond films, okay? And uh, uh, okay, can I can I be permitted to turn to outside sources for this? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I just need to get up on Google because I was not expecting I was not expecting this so soon to be um, <laughs> hit in the face. All right, all right, wait. Okay, Elise, <laughs> why Wild Nigel is 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 getting receipts? Yeah, go ahead. 
There, this movie has one of my favorite movie transitions of all time, which I will speak to later when we talk about our uh, top Bond jokes. Christopher Lee has a third nipple. I mean, I don't know what else needs to be said about this. Um, you know, that's that's also my reason for one. It's one of the worst. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I love when Bond is completely ridiculous. The belly dancer wearing the golden bullet as jewelry is completely, it's wild. I don't like that Mary Goodnight is treated super dumb the whole time because, you know, she's cute. That's really all I have to say. I didn't have this like super high. Like I feel like Nigel's going to have it way higher. I had it at number 18. So it wasn't like I had it at in like the top 10 or something. Yeah. I just want to point out before we give Nigel the mic that the director Guy Hamilton said we were really scraping the bottom of the barrel on this one <laughs> as far as source material. And no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Nigel, are you ready? Right. Okay. So uh, first of all, I would like to read out um, the Rotten Tomatoes review for um, The Man with the Golden Gun, right? Which is f- like 40% um, critical score, 55% audience score. Critic consensus. A middling Bond film, The Man with the Golden Gun, suffers from double entendre-laden dialogue, a noteworthy lack of gadgets, and a villain that overshadows 007. Okay, so first of all, if we disregard the double entendre-laden dialogue, which is, you know, symptomatic of every uh, Bond film which came out pre-Austin Powers, <laughs> where then they decided, okay, we're going to make things gritty and serious. What film does that remind you of? A Bond film with a distinct lack of gadgets and a Bond film, uh, and a villain which overshadows 007. That's right. It's Skyfall. That's the exact beats of Skyfall, which everyone loves. So I don't. Part of me... Okay. <laughs> That's going to come Critics. up later in our conversation. But but, 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 okay. but do continue. Yeah, critics love that. So first of all, I, I like it on that level. But I think it does a really good job of being a spy film and not just a bit, at least in my at least in my opinion. Like, I mean, like Elise as well. I like the fact that one of the only um, gadgets in this film is an extra nipple because oh. it's like. But they're, like, it's patently ridiculous, but, like, it has a point. I'm laughing at you calling the nipple a gadget, and the has a point, because a nipple kind of does have a point. Yeah, because it's, like, no one has no one has seen Scaramanga. I, like, all that's known, which is really weird, then, that all that anyone knows about him is that he has a super mammillary nipple, you know? Right. And yeah, because so Bond pretends to be him at the one point, and no one knows the difference. And, and, a, yeah, and a golden exactly. gun. We know that he also has yeah. a golden gun. <laughs> yeah, the the film is not called The Man with the Third Nipple, although I. <laughs> it could have been though. Like that. That's the type of humor that is throughout oh, this film. And I think you either like that type of humor in Bond, or you don't like that type of humor in Bond, which is probably I'm why really... it's. Lower on our list and higher on your list. Yeah, I'm, I'm in really tears right fond now. Of this. <laughs> I'm really fond of this humor in Bond. And as much as I like gritty spy films, I think that Bond was almost better with this kind of humor. Uh, the villain, the villain is really good. I like the um, scenes that are in the, the big like maze. Those are great. Like the Hall of Mirrors thing. Right. I don't, okay, I don't understand his like, 
I don't understand Scaramanga's assistant of the dynamic they have between them. That's a bit weird. Like, but yeah, I think this is really good. And the whole setup of like, you know, this gun, it only ever shoots one bullet and always hits a target until like the plot has to happen. <laughs> but I think that's like, I mean, that's why everyone loves characters like Deadshot in, in comics and stuff, because they never miss until it's convenient for him not to hit our protagonist. Right, and this is also your film with the slide whistle, Nigel. Yes. This is the one. This is the slide whistle film. This is the slide whistle film. The reason it's so low on my list is because of the reappearance of J.W. Pepper, who is like my least favorite, least favorite character, least favorite thing, least favorite gag, like whatever is the least favorite of Bond, it is J.W. Pepper for me. I hate this character so much. I literally hid under my blanket the entire time he was on screen because I just couldn't, like it was just so cringy to me that he was in this. And I hate that they introduced him in Live and Let Die and then we're like, you know what? We're going to bring him back for another film. <laughs> like that to me. Yeah, why is he the only point of continuity between these films? Like, Oh my gosh, I hate him so much in this film. The the jump. So it they it is the first Bond stunt to be blocked out via computer simulation. And then they actually did it. A real person in a real car did that. And you just Incredible. And so the entire team at Eon dropped their pants and just took a giant Yeah on that stunt by adding that stupid, stupid slide whistle. The antithesis of what these Bond movies are supposed to be. I can I can do camp, I can do jokes. What I can't do is that. And, 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 and the AMC Pacer has had two cinema moments in all of history. It has had its two moments to shine. One was this. And the other is that Wayne Campbell and Garth Algar famously drive an AMC Pacer in Wayne's World, and that scene's better. The Bohemian Rhapsody scene in Wayne's World is the correct usage of the AMC Pacer. This is not. It's a terrible movie, and I hate it. Do you think you would like it better in this movie if they had a licorice dispenser? <laughs> if you get a hurl, hurl into this. <laughs> I'm going to be myself and correct you and it's spew. That's because right. Because I'm an anal retentive person. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to spew, spew yeah. into this. Sorry, I'm very pedantic sometimes. I'm sure. It's spew. <laughs> I mean, the, the terms spew, hurl, and blow chunk show up in that movie in different places. That's fair. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I hate this movie. Can we talk about the songs instead? Yes. <laughs> okay. Are but, we up to the songs? But Nigel thinks I'm wrong. Okay, and that's fine. I can live with that. Before, before we get into the, the, the soundtracks, before we do that, um, Elise, really quickly. Yes. How did you come to start watching James Bond? I think it was just something that my dad always liked. And while I don't really remember us watching them so much together, my, I spoke with my sister yesterday and she thinks that we were taken to the theater to see Goldeneye. I really don't remember this. Um, I I just, as I said earlier, I have dad takes uh, tastes. I just like spy stuff. 
a lot. Like, I love the movie Spy Game with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt, um, which is not even that great of a movie, but I love it. Um, I like all the gadgets. The ladies are hot. That's always a plus. Um, I don't... I wish I had a better answer for this. I just... That's okay. I just thought they were cool. (laughs) You thought they were Um, cool. And then once I... And then once I watched them more, I got into, like, the tropes, you know, the gadgets, and the, there's a lot of repeat themes in these movies, and I feel, it's like watching, it's like how I feel when I rewatch The Sopranos a million times, like, it's like, re, you know, seeing your friends act ex- as you would expect them to, and I feel the same way about James Bond. All right. We'll start with you. I call this segment... That Bond song. Now, Cisco has not yet participated (laughs) in the James Bond franchise, although he has participated in CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Shout out, Andy. That said, tell us about your favorite Bond song. It is, is, Um, and you're a better person for it. Elise, what are your favorite Bond songs? So I could not get a small list, so I I narrowed it down to my top five. Um, So at number five, I have Another Way to Die by Jack White and Alicia Keys. I just think that song rocks. It's very catchy. Um, It kind of gives you, I don't know, it just, it feels like of the era when it came out. I didn't even write is that from Quantum of Solace? Yeah. I yes. completely forgot to write that down. <laughs> the other ones are obvious. It's one of the movies that obviously the theme song is not the same as the movie title. I don't really have a reason of why I love it, except it like that opening do 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 whatever. I'm not a musical person. It's just really catchy and I really love it. Number four is A View to a Kill by Duran Duran. Um, this song rules. Um, it's, it's been stuck in my head g- all week. Yeah, same. Um, I had told I've told um everyone this off pod, but apparently when A View to a Kill came out, all these young girls like that loved Duran Duran went to the movie and watched the opening theme and then left before James Bond because they were not interested in watching Roger Moore uh, do a movie. <laughs> um, and I just think that's really funny. Third is Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney. And Wings, um, I mentioned earlier, this was at my bat mitzvah. Like, I loved the song. I didn't know that it was James Bond adjacent when I fell in love with it. So hearing it in a James Bond movie was very exciting for me. And even though I enjoy Live and Let Die, it's definitely the best part of that movie. Second is Skyfall by Adele. Um, I really love that movie, but I just... And I'm not even, like, the biggest Adele fan, but I like her in general, and it's just a really good song. I don't, I'm not, like, um, I'm not good at, like, being critical towards music, so it's really just I like it or I don't like it. And number one is the most classic Bond song to me, which is Goldfinger by Shirley Bassey. That song is amazing. And I always laugh that at the line, the man with the golden gun in that theme song because they don't it's not the same golden gun it's like honey we haven't even gotten to that one yet (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right nigel what are your top bond songs okay so 
I kind of went with, I guess, three. Uh, but honorable mention, I guess, to um, the one for Casino, or not for Casino Royale, for Dr. No, which is just them playing like three blind mice and yes. weird psychedelic yes. uh, nonsense where it's like, what the sh is going on? Yes. <laughs> it's fun. Because I think. I like it. Yeah, I think early Bond has a problem with soundtracking and stuff where it's like, this one doesn't have like an official Bond song that was written for it. They don't play, they don't really play the Bond theme for that one. And then in like later, earlier Bond films, if that makes sense, Bond will just be walking around a hotel and they'll be blaring the Bond theme. And it's like, what? Like, this is a completely mundane interaction that they're having. And we're just getting like, like in the background. So Bond has, Bond for me has a weird relationship between music and how you're meant to feel with it. So, um, at number three, I'm going to go No Time to Die by Billie Eilish, which the film hasn't come out yet, but I've, I've just read a lot into what in theory it could mean for the film. And if half of what I've thought about, half, if half of what of my takes come true, then it'll be an incredible themed theme to go with the, to go with the film. If, None of that makes First sense. First of all, that is a solid choice. It's a good song. It's that song's been out for 18 months and the film hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Then I'm going to go... No, so then this is a bit of a toss-up. and it, um, Can I do a joint number two? Of course. Yeah, so it's um, Skyfall by Adele and um, Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney. Uh, because it's like... I feel like with Bond, there's ones that you instantly think of, and it's like, you know, these ones are fairly recognizable, where I know Sam doesn't, I know now that Sam doesn't like Skyfall, which is strange, because in my head, Skyfall and The Man with the Golden Gun take place on opposite ends of a spectrum, or like, a, it's a dichotomy, and Sam's like, I don't like either of opposite them. Opposite ends of a spectre? <laughs> All right, that's it. I'm just, I'm, I'm disconnecting. I've had too much. Where it's like that, you know, that's what you you associate with Bond. And like, like I said before, I have um really wholesome memories singing um "Live and Let Die" in the students' union kitchen. So that brings us predictably to number one, which is. Goldfinger by Dame Shirley Bassey making her first appearance in the um, Bond theme singing. But it's like, it's a good song because like I heard my father singing it when I was younger, like the first two lines or whatever. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. And when you hear um, Shirley Bassey sing it, you know, she's got an amazing voice and so she can really carry it. But then when you consider... Consider the lyrics. You realize that Shirley Bassey has um, like she'd been written into a corner with this is the this is the Bond film that she's been given because like the opening one is like Goldfinger. He's the man, the man with the Midas touch, a spider's touch, such a cold finger, and it's like only so many things, only so many things will rhyme with Goldfinger, so you have to use them all, and yet. And yet this song and yet. and yet this song lingers in your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's wacky. 
I wanted to mention that because Shirley Bassey also does Diamonds Are Forever and Moonraker, which actually I really like those songs too, but I don't think that they're as good as her first one. But I also wanted to comment on Dr. No not really having a theme song. And I'm pretty sure, correct me if, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was reading that they used some John Barry in Dr. No without his permission, like in the score. And they, and he was like, hey, you use some of my um, songs. And he's, and they were like, yeah, but if you don't sue us, we'll let you score the next one. So he scored um, From Russia With Love, and he ended up scoring, like, 12 Bond movies. So it's interesting that they kind of used him in a shady way at first. You know, I'll just say really quickly, I liked Goldfinger better when it was called Moon River. I'm going to let Tessa finish this out because we have the same top two. I have honorable mention. We've already talked about A View to a Kill and No Time to Die. I just want to add a little bit of um, a little bit of dap to Carly Simon and Sheena Easton. Those are my two favorite. After Billie Eilish, or along with Billie Eilish, they do my favorite two ballads. Nobody does it better, and For Your Eyes Only. So, you know, I literally think the best part of For Your Eyes Only is that song. So, Tessa, take it away with with yours, and then our top two. So, I I do have to say that... The James Bond theme is just, it is a rocking theme, like just the theme itself. And I probably sing it to myself a little bit too much, which Elise knows because I definitely did it the other day while we were playing Mass Effect together. Anyway, I definitely want to say honorable mention to Tomorrow Never Dies by Sheryl Crow. That is a really great song, even though it's not in my top three. And I think we should also mention that there aren't a lot of bad Bond themes. Like there are definitely some that are not good, but all time high. But I like all time high. But a lot of them are actually really good songs. Like that, the Bond song is one of the highlights of watching these films for me. But here are my top three Goldeneye by Tina Turner is a killer song. It is so good and will get stuck in your head immediately if you listen to it. The World Is Not Enough by Garbage, which I also sing quite a bit. It is. Uh, Garbage is such a great band, but the world is not enough. And the way that it, the way that it folds into the themes of that movie, I just think is really, really well done. And then my favorite and Sam's favorite is "You Know My Name" by Chris Cornell from Casino Royale. Hmm. Such a good song. It's just because uh, the, they were trying to update Bond in some ways, and I think Chris Cornell, who is just a wonderful performer and singer, just he nailed it. He nailed what they were trying to do with that movie. I miss his voice so much. Yeah, no one sings like him anymore. So yeah, Chris Cornell, so You Know My Name is probably one of my, it's not probably, it is in my top three soundtrack songs of all time. It is my favorite Chris Cornell solo song. When you add in his two bands, it's still top five. It's really great because from a songwriting thing, he watched the film, said, I want to really match what's happening in here, plus everything I know about Bond. And came up with this theme that really, you know, the lyrics describe Bond, but then they get inverted in Casino Royale. You know, he's painted as this really cold person and then falls in love with Vesper. And we'll talk all about that later. It just shout out to Garbage. Garbage, The World Is Not Enough is not in my top three soundtrack songs of all time. But a song by Garbage is in my top three soundtrack songs of all time. So I just think that's awesome. The other day I was listening to... Um 
that gar- you know the world is not enough and i don't know Twine, if it was as we because call it. i was i don't know if it's because i was stoned but i was listening to it and i was like this song is invoking you only live twice i felt like i listened to them back to back and i feel like shirley manson is invoking you only live twice and it rules and i was supposed to see garbage a couple weeks ago but we got a hurricane and i was sad that is, I, I know that's very sad. I've been supposed to see them for like 20 years. I'll get there <laughs> yeah, one day. They were opening for, a, they were opening for Alanis Morissette, who I hadn't yeah. seen since 2009. So, mm, sad face. Speaking of sad, let's talk about some more films. Except we won't be talking more films today. Future Sam here. We ended up recording so much material that we had to split it into five parts rather than four. But it just seemed a shame to let that transition go to waste. Anyway, part two will be available on Thursday, and parts three, four, and five will be released next week to get you even more hyped up for No Time to Die. In the meantime, you can find Nigel on Twitter and links to her cavalcade of podcasts at Spicy Nigel. You can find Elise on Twitter at Elise underscore Tendi and her Deep Space Nine podcast on Twitter at PodWraiths. Tessa is on Twitter at Suela Tessa. Be sure to listen to Tessa and Nigel's brand new podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club. Find out more about that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club. Finally, you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. Send us your thoughts about the rankings we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at MonkeyBacklog. Check out our brand new website, monkeyoffmybacklog.com. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.